So we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 7. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been spoken, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, are, are transient, but the things that are unseen are, are eternal. So when he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home because of a legal technicality. He had to uh, start working at a very young age to help support the family. At the age of nine, his mother died. At age 22, he's lost his job at a, as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his grades weren't good enough to get into law school. 23, he went into debt as he became a partner in a small store. At age 26, his business partner died, and so he was left with an incredible debt that he had to pay himself. At age 28, after uh, dating uh, a woman for four years, he asked her to marry him. Uh, and she responded, no. At age 40, 41, or, or I'm sorry, 37, uh, he tried to be elected for Congress, um, and he was successful the first time, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he ran as a pre vice presidential candidate. He lost. At, at 49, he ran for the Senate again. He lost. At 51, he became one of the greatest presidents our country has ever known. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Perseverance. It's a quality that some of the greatest difference makers in society have, have exhibited. Uh, there's so many people throughout history who maybe didn't have all the, the best skills, but they had perseverance. Think about Henry Ford. Henry Ford actually started two business ventures, which both went bankrupt before he started the Ford Motor Company. Albert Einstein, people said, uh, people thought that he was uh, developmentally challenged. He didn't speak to the age of four, didn't start reading until the age of seven. Very socially awkward. He was denied entry into the, uh, into the Zurich Polytechnic Institute, and yet he became one of the most you know, brilliant people in American history. Thomas Edison, it was said that by his own admission, he figured out a thousand ways not to invent the light bulb. Vincent Van Gogh, it was said to only sell one of his paintings in his whole life. He sold one painting to a friend. He went on and painted over 800 paintings, and yet he was destitute, had trouble, uh, trouble feeding himself, 
uh, struggled to pay the bills, and yet he persevered in what he loved to do, what he was good at doing, and today his paintings are worth millions of dollars. There's others like Elvis Presley. Uh, the head of the Grand Ole Opry told him he should go back and drive trucks. Steven Spielberg, he was rejected three times from the University of South Southern California School of Theater, Film, and Television. He attended California State University for a short time and subsequently dropped out. Walt Disney, he was fired from a local newspaper because they said he lacked creativity. He went to Hollywood to try to make it big. Unfortunately, his early time in Hollywood was unsuccessful as well. He was told the idea of Mickey Mouse would fail, that he was destined to never succeed. The author, Stephen King, his first book, uh, Carrie, uh, he sent it to 30 different publishers. They all rejected the book. He was so exasperated that he threw the manuscript in the garbage. His wife went and retrieved it, and finally he got one publisher to publish it and became a prolific author that many of us have read his books. Persevere. It's, it's something that people need to be successful. And as Christians in the world that we're living in, we need perseverance to be successful. We live in a difficult world. There's a lot of opposition to the people of God. Uh, we live in a world where there's shootings nearly weekly now. We see injustices, and some of us have maybe been even victims of injustices. We see a breakdown of the family, a worship of sex, a worship of kind of the transgender homosexual agenda. Those who hold a biblical worldview are increasingly ostracized, seen as out of touch, maybe even hateful. George Whitefield once said this, if you're going to walk with Jesus Christ, you're going to be opposed. In our days, he says, to be a true Christian is really to become a scandal. And that was written hundreds of years ago. So we face opposition, and for us to be the people that God has called us to be, it requires perseverance. And it's not just the world outside, it's also the world within the church. In the church, there's a lot of opposition. There's disunity, there's division, uh, there's scandals. Even this past week, um, there was this great scandal in Southern Baptist Convention. There was a report that was released where there was a lot of improprieties that happened. And uh, one particular individual that it was respected by nearly everyone, it, it came out that he had been involved in some serious sin. You know, and we see these things, and how do we persevere? How do we keep going when we have opposition from outside, when we have leaders inside that often fail us, when there's disunity, when there's division? And Paul is going to talk about that question of perseverance in this passage that we're looking at today. I've never gone scuba diving before. I've always wanted to. I thought it would be cool to, you know, to strap on all the gear and just go down and, you know, see everything that's down below the surface. But I heard a story about a Navy diver once who uh, shared how he would go down on these really deep dives and he would get to a certain level where you could no longer see, you know, the sunlight anymore. It'd be completely pitch black and it would be terrifying because you'd just be completely disoriented. You wouldn't know which way was up, which way was down, and you would just have no bearings for where anything was. It was, just being, it was like just being in this endless darkness with no direction. And so someone asked him, so what do you do in that situation? How do you know where to go? And he says, what you have to do is you have to feel the bubbles. You know, as you're exhaling air, you can feel the bubbles and see which, which way is up. He went on to say this. He said, 
When it's pitch black and you have no idea which way to go, you reach up with your hand and feel the bubbles. The bubbles always drift to the surface. When you can't trust your feelings or judgment, you can always trust the bubbles to get you back to the top. I think we need those bubbles. We need something to kind of orient us to persevere. And I think this passage shows us that. And in this passage, we see three W's, why, what, and how. Why, what, and then the how. The two W's and then the how of suffering. And so Paul is going to kind of orient us so that we persevere in the faith. And so the first question he's going to answer is why. Now he's not going to give kind of a whole answer to why suffering is in the world, but he's going to specifically answer one aspect of suffering and and why does the believer, and specifically why does he as a minister of the gospel have to suffer? Why is it so difficult? I I have a family picnic tomorrow and uh, I've been working on my son's playground. It was a you know really old, uh, big playground, um, and so I've been working just like crazy to try to get that fixed up. And it's amazing to me just how much work it is. It doesn't doesn't seem like much, but you know measuring and cutting and making sure you get all the six by sixes and four by fours and everything there that you need. It's an incredible amount of work. And my father-in-law has been helping me with that. And the one day. Uh, as he was helping with that, I just kind of said jokingly, I'm just, why does life have to be so much work? You know, and some of us ask those kind of questions, like, why does it have to be so difficult? Why does it have to be so challenging? Why isn't it easier? Why doesn't life go smoother? And Paul gives us an answer here. He says, we have uh, these tre- this treasure in jars of clay. I've always been perplexed by this image of jars of clay. What is he talking about here? Um, but it's really quite profound when we think about and know kind of the context of what he's talking about. When we think about jars of clay, in the ancient world, jars of clay were very commonplace. They were very ordinary. I mean, they held some value. I'd say they're more valuable than a disposable paper cup, but if you think about maybe like a plastic tumbler or like a cheap glass that you have at home, that's kind of what, you know, a jar of clay would be like. I mean, it holds a little bit of value, but not all that much. It's common, ordinary, everybody has a glass or a cup at home. And so that's what he's talking about here, that that there's a treasure in something that's ordinary and something that's not unique. And so he says that the reason that the treasure, that is the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is housed in jars of clay is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So a couple of years ago, my wife got a present. I think it was from somebody at work, um, and it came in this gorgeous wooden box. Um, it was, you know, just this box about this big. Uh, it had uh, the name of the company uh, engraved. It was like uh, burned wood, the burned lettering, and it was just a really, really cool box. And I saw it. I was like, "That's awesome." And so I took that box, and I put, like, you know, odds and ends. It's in the garage. I put screws and stuff in it just because it was just a really cool box. Now, here's the thing. I have no idea what was in the box. I don't have any idea what the present was. I just know the box was really cool. And Paul says, in essence, in this passage, God doesn't want people to be focused on the exterior, on the box. Let's say that you know, life went smoothly for the believer, that we never had any problems, we never had any struggles, that we're always going from mountaintop to mountaintop, what would the world see? They would see, hmm, that person has a lot of nice things in their life. And if I was 
in that situation, if I had a lot of money, if all my relationships were great, if I never had any struggles, of course I would praise God. Of course I would praise God if I had those things. And so what it would do is it would make people want to have your life, but not necessarily your God. So Paul says, it's so that people would be drawn to the surpassing power of God, to see the surpassing power of God, so that they would not be drawn to your specific situation that, wow, they got a lot going for them, but that they would see the treasure that's inside. Because when life is difficult, when we're struggling to pay the bills, when we're having relational difficulties, when we're having health difficulties, when we experience great loss, and yet still we praise the Lord, yet still we have joy in the Lord, then people are like, what's, what's the difference with them? I mean, I struggle with those things, and I'm in a place of darkness, I struggle with those things, and I don't have any hope. How does this person who is a believer, they have all the same things happening to them, maybe even worse, and yet they have faith? So the point is that people would see what's inside, not what's outside. Paul puts it this way in verse 11. He says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. For those of us who are believers, who those of us who are sharing in the ministry of the gospel, the reason that our lives, one of the reasons that our, that our lives are not peaceful always is so that we could show the world that Jesus is precious, Jesus is valuable. Whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, whether we're healthy, whether we're sick, whether we experience loss, whether we experience plenty, Jesus is enough for us. And so sometimes God allows those things to show the world that he is enough for us, and sometimes even to teach us that he's enough. Several years ago, um, there was a celebration in the uh, Congo Republic, uh, and they were celebrating 100 years since the first missionaries came to, Cong to Congo. And there were speeches and music and all kinds of you know, fanfare. It was a great occasion. Uh, but at the end, there was this old man that got up and said, I want to share something. He said, when the missionaries first came, we were very suspicious of them. We questioned their motives, that we questioned why they were here. We didn't trust them. So the tribal elders got together and they decided what we're going to do is we're going to test them by slowly poisoning them. So they slowly started poisoning them. Started with the children. Children started dying one after the other. The missionaries kept on with the work. This had an incredible impact on the people. The old man commented, it was as, what, as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as a Christian. And so in answer to that why question, uh, why is life so difficult so that people would not be distracted by the jar on what's outside, they would see what's inside. That even if we're broken, there's something beautiful inside of us. Then he talks about the what. And when he's talking about this what, he's talking about suffering that often pushes us to our breaking point. It's a suffering that's severe. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. These are very serious words talking about serious affliction. Afflicted in every way, he says. The word for afflicted often uh, denotes kind of being crowded, like something's crowding against you, kind of like 
you know, the world is kind of throwing all it has at you. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, have you ever noticed when something bad happens, it usually doesn't happen in isolation. It's usually like one bad thing happens and then another and then another. And it's, sometimes it feels like the world is just kind of crowding around us. He says that's what we experience sometimes. We experience that affliction, that we're afflicted in every way. But he says we're not crushed. It doesn't overtake us. He says we're perplexed. This indicates kind of intense mental anguish. We don't understand what's going on always. Uh, one author defines it as it as as being at a loss concerning why something is taking place or how to respond. Life throws us a lot of those questions. Why, why would God allow this to happen? Why hasn't God changed this circumstance? And yet, even though we have those questions, we don't give up. We hold on to our faith in the midst of it. We're not driven to despair. He says we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Sometimes we feel like we're all alone in following Christ. Seems like the whole world is turned against us. Maybe we're the only Christian in our workplace. Maybe the only Christian in our family. It feels like everyone's opposed to us. Sometimes it feels like we're abandoned. But Paul says, even though we're persecuted, even though uh, people are coming against us, we're not abandoned. We know that God is for us. And then finally he says uh, that we're struck down but not destroyed. The image here is probably of a boxer or uh, a military fighter, someone who's knocked down but not knocked out. Paul says, we take blows. We get hit. We get knocked down. We get back up again. We don't get knocked down. And so he says, we continue even in the midst of serious difficulties. You ever heard the phrase, um, God will never give you more than you can handle? I've heard that phrase before. And it's kind of a quaint phrase. And uh, there's truth in the sense that God will not give you anything that's going to ultimately destroy you. But I think theologically it's kind of incorrect. I think God always gives us more than we can handle. And he always gives us more than we can handle in ourselves because he wants us to trust in him. I mean, you think about the great people in, in history in the Old Testament. You think about like Joseph. Imagine as a young man if he was, going to, if he was told what was going to happen to him. Imagine he was told so you know, when you get to a certain age, when you're 16 or 18 or however old he was, uh, your brothers are going to throw you in this pit and then they're going to sell you into slavery. And then after that, um, you're going to be accused of rape, even though you didn't do anything wrong, and you're going to be thrown into prison for years and they're going to like throw away the key and forget about you. Do you think you can handle that? He probably would have said, no, I don't think I can handle that. You think about Job. Imagine as a young man if he was told, hey, you're going to have a wife and kids and great, incredible wealth and health, and then God's going to take it all away. All your kids are going to, are going to die. Your wife is going to kind of turn on you. You're going to get really sick. All of your wealth is going to be taken away. Do you think you can handle that? He probably would have said no. But God gives us what we need in the circumstance. He gives us grace in the moment. And what I appreciate about what Paul says in this passage is for Paul, he acknowledges that sometimes life can get really difficult. It's not just a Christianese kind of thing where he's just saying, oh yeah, just trust in God and everything's going to be great. You know, just acknowledge that bad things are going to happen. No, he acknowledges that sometimes it's really difficult. 
Now, again, look at what he says. He says we're perplexed but not driven to despair. Yet notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So in one sense, he says we're perplexed but not driven to despair. But back in chapter 1, he said we despaired of life itself. So what is he talking about? Is he kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth? Is he saying one thing and meaning something else? Is he being a hypocrite? I don't think that's the case. I think in that moment, he experienced such affliction that he felt like giving up. He felt that, that despair. And in that moment, he, it was so serious, it was so difficult that he felt like giving up. And so sometimes in, in, in moments that we have in our lives, in, in times of great affliction, sometimes we'll feel that despair. Sometimes we'll feel that weight. Sometimes it will feel like the world is crashing all around us. But God's going to pull us out of that. And that's what he did for Paul. He experienced great difficulty that led him to a point of momentary despair, but God wasn't going to leave him there. He was going to bring him out of there, and he's went to a place where he's perplexed. He doesn't understand why it happened, but he's not driven to despair. God gave him the strength that he needed. See, we can talk spiritual sometimes, talk about joy and suffering, and sometimes we think about it as, okay, I'm going to experience suffering, but God's going to only let a little bit of my life, just a little bit, and I wish that was the case. It's not often the case. Oftentimes the suffering will bring us, of this world will bring us to a breaking point where we despair of life itself, but God will see it through, see us through. He'll give us the strength that we need to persevere. So don't be surprised. Don't feel guilty when you come to a place in your life where you experience great difficulty. Most likely, you know, given, you know, as long as you're not in open rebellion against God or some specific you know, sin has caused that, most likely you haven't done anything wrong. It's just the passage of life in this fallen world. And so sometimes suffering can be difficult and severe. Sometimes it can push us to the breaking point where we feel like giving up. We feel like despairing. But God's going to throw us a rope. He's going to bring us out so that we don't give up. Final question Paul answers is how? How do we get out of it? How do we persevere in the midst of suffering? And his answer is that we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is really the million-dollar question uh, to get us through suffering. And to put it simply, we walk by faith, again, not by sight. Paul quotes David in saying, I believed, and so I spoke. And he says, we also believed, and so we also speak. In the context of 116, uh, Psalm 116, David is expressing his hope for deliverance in the midst of very trying circumstance. The full verse says this, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist is expressing faith even in the midst of great affliction. That even though he's experiencing great affliction, God is going to bring him out of it. God is going to be with him. And that's kind of a general kind of thing he, he mentions here. But in this passage, Paul is going to talk about three specific things that he believes in that helps him persevere. The first thing that he believes in is he has faith in God's rescue. Paul says in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. As believers in Jesus, we trust in the fact that God will not abandon us. The grave is not the end. 
It's not the end of our story. God will one day raise us to new life. And so Paul puts his faith in the resurrection and knows that the resurrection is going to change everything. He puts his faith in the future as well. He says that his faith believes that the future is measurably better than the, fa- than the past. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. And so Paul is talking about this light momentary uh, suffering, and he's doing so by comparison. Because again, look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. The word for burdened literally means weighted down or heavy. We might translate it differently as well. We might translate it as, For we were so weighed down by a heavy burden that we couldn't carry it. So again, in this passage we're looking at today, he's talking about suffering being light, momentary, but at the beginning of the book, he talks about it being heavy. It's a heavy weight to carry, a heavy burden. So again, what is he talking about? He's talking about a comparison. One thing that most people don't like is most people don't like to have dental work done. And kind of at the top of the list, or one of the things at the top of the list is the root canal, the dreaded root canal. So if you have to get a root canal, it might ruin your day. You know, you have to take off work potentially. Uh, it's just kind of a pain, an annoyance. Um, and so you go there and it it's just might kind of throw your day off. But imagine I were to tell you, if you go get a root canal, you're going to get a million dollars. That might change things. That annoyance for having to skip work wouldn't be there. You wouldn't even have to work if you, if you wanted, didn't want to anymore. That pain that you're experiencing, that would still be there. But you're thinking about the million dollars and what you're going to do with that million dollars after you're done. So the pain, it would seem insignificant, light. I mean, if there's no reward, if you just have to skip work and you just go there and get that done, if there's no reward, it seems heavy, it seems weighty. But then there's a great reward, it seems light, insignificant. So that's what Paul is sharing in this story, in this passage, that in comparison with the reward, anything that we experience in this life, even if it seems severe in the moment, it's light. It's not that big of a deal. And the final reason, he says, is because it's momentary. It's temporary. Suffering in this life is temporary. When we get to the life to come, there won't be any more suffering. Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so, We might have to endure some difficult things, but it's for a time. And so Paul says that we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. So kind of to sum this all up, life is difficult. Even those who are believers, we're often faced with moments where we feel like giving up. And yet we can persevere because we know one day God's going to raise up our bodies from the grave and these our sufferings will seem light in comparison to that. It's a great reward for those of us who are believers in Christ. Uh, Michael Gerson, a former presidential speechwriter, delivered a sermon at Washington National Cathedral where he talked about him himself being hospitalized for depression. He said this, Like nearly one in ten Americans, and like many of you, I live with this insidious chronic disease. 
Depression is a malfunction in the instrument we use to determine reality. The brain experienced a, experiences a chemical imbalance and wraps a narrative around it. So the lack of serotonin in the mind's alchemy becomes something like, everybody hates me. Over time, despair can grow inside of you like a tumor. But then you reach your breaking point and you and do not break. With patience and the right medicine, the fog in your brain begins to thin. Over time, you begin to see hints and glimmers of a larger world outside the prison of your sadness. I think this medical condition works as a metaphor for the human condition. All of us, whatever our natural serotonin level, look around us and see plenty of reason for doubt, anger, and sadness. A child dies. A woman is abused. A schoolyard becomes a killing field. A typhoon sweeps away the innocent. If we knew or felt the whole of human suffering, we would drown in despair. The answer to the temptation of nihilism is not an argument. Though philosophy can clear away a lot of intellectual foolishness, it is the experience of transcendence we cannot explain or explain away. There's a difference for a Christian believer. At the end of all of our striving and longing, we find not a force, but a face. God's promise is somewhat different. That even when strength fails, there's perseverance. And even when perseverance fails, there's hope. And when, even when hope fails, there's love. And love never fails. God calls us to lives of perseverance, even in the midst of difficulty. We think about our lives and we think about um, what we want out of life. And you think about life and you think of life as pictured like this jar. Most people would want life to be like this. I mean, there's a few imperfections, a few noticeable marks here, but more or less, it's in good shape. Most of us would want a life like that. We'd want a life of ease, a life of comfort. That's what people look for in life. But you get to the end of life, and one day the jar is going to break. One day life is going to be no more. The jar is broken. There's nothing inside. For those of us who are believers in Christ, sometimes we're going to enter into the kingdom of God limping. We got some brokenness, like this jar. Maybe it's the pain of past mistakes that we've made. Maybe we got some brokenness of loss difficulties. Maybe some of us are struggling with mental illness and we got some brokenness there. We've got marks. We've got stains. We're going to enter into the kingdom of God broken and limping. And yet, this jar like the other is one day going to be broken. There's a treasure inside. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we have a treasure inside of us. And so Jesus calls us, don't give up. Don't give in. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we trust as believers that one day he's going to come back. One day he's going to right all wrongs. One day he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And as we're in the interim, even though our bodies are wasting away, even though we experience the brokenness, the Holy Spirit is renewing our souls. He's teaching us even in the midst of difficulty as we wait for the moment when he's going to make all things right. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace for us. We thank you that you sent us your Holy Spirit as a down payment of our future inheritance. We thank you that even though we face difficulties in our life, even though it seems like our outer selves are wasting away, even though we experience difficulties like pain, suffering, health difficulties, financial difficulties, you're renewing our souls. 
and one day you're going to make all things right. Help us to look not to the things that we see. When we look at the things in this world, the things that we see, when we watch the news, it can be depressing. But we know that you're writing your story. We know that you're going to one day raise us from the grave. We know that one day you're going to be with us forever. And one day you're going to make all wrongs right. Lord, help us to focus on the reward and to realize that even the most difficult things in this life, they're light and momentary in comparison with what you prepared for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.